0: This is the third week of our series called Real Mature. We've been exploring what it looks like to be spiritually mature and how that happens. How do we become spiritually mature? We look at plants, we look at animals, children, uh, and we expect them to grow. From year to year, uh, they grow. Our kids, they learn things, they get smarter, they, they learn about themselves and the world around them, they gain a broader vocabulary. They become better communicators. They, they gain control of their muscles. Their balance gets better. They become mobile. And then they're faster. Um, they, we think about trees. They grow. What maybe started out as a little acorn will grow into a sapling. And, uh, and then it will grow into a tree. The tree becomes bigger. The tree becomes taller. The, uh, they gain those little rings in the trunk, right? They, the trunks get wider. I also am like a tree. If you cut me open, you're going to find those rings, I assure you. For every year I've been alive. That's, that's why I am the way I am. I'm, I don't know. Um, you guys can use that too if you want. It's, it's free. It's free. Um. But see, the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. We are meant to grow. We were meant to begin this relationship with God and that we would progress in that relationship, that relationship with Christ, that that Christ would begin a work in us and that we would begin a journey towards holiness. We don't have to be holy to be accepted by God. We don't have to clean ourselves up before we begin that relationship. But when we do, a work begins inside of us that makes us holy. We are made righteous by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that process is called sanctification, Uh, sanctification it takes place in us where things are taken away sin is removed things are added godly things good things and so if you have been a christian for any amount of time then you should be able to look back on your life and say i'm different now than i was you should be able to look back and see how changes have taken place. Maybe you used to have certain wants and desires, and now you look at your life and you're like, you see that they've been replaced by new desires, new passions. Maybe you used to react a certain way in certain situations, and now you can tell that you don't act like you used to. It's even better when others can see the change that has taken place inside of you, isn't it? I mean, maybe we can't really put our finger on it, but we know that we are not who we used to be, and that's the power of God working in our lives. See, when it comes to spiritual maturity, we start at one place, but we never actually reach the destination, at least not here on earth, right? We're not the finished product. We continue changing. We continue growing until we don't look so much like the person we used to be, but instead we look at the spitting image of Jesus Christ. While we can say that we are saved at that moment, that moment that we turn towards Christ and put our faith and trust in his completed work on the cross, we can also say that we are being saved daily. We are being saved daily from our selfish desires, from those passions of the flesh, the sin that still exists in our lives, the habits of our old selves. Yes, we have crossed over from death to life, and that is the gift of God. But God moves us in, this, in the Holy Spirit. God moves us and changes us from the inside out as sanctification, as we are being sanctified daily. God does this work inside of us that he cleanses us, he purifies us, he makes us holy from the inside out, and we become spiritually mature, spiritually mature. That's what spiritual maturity is. It's this growing relationship with God that is marked by what God has done inside of us. I know many of you guys, you raised your children in the same house for a long period of time, and maybe you have this place in your house. Uh, I hear sometimes it's maybe in the kitchen or the laundry room, but there's this place in your house where you measure their growth. Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever? Okay, okay, just a couple. All right. (laughs) Cool. Uh, so, So maybe they're like, hey, they were this tall at five. And maybe this tall at 8 and 10 and and 15 and so on. You can look back and say, man, that's so cool. But in the same way, we as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, we should want to see growth like that in us. It's what God wants. He wants us to be spiritually mature. See, spiritual maturity brings two things specifically. And I, I didn't put these in your notes here. But first, spiritual maturity prepares us for heaven. We said that spiritual maturity is, our, is, our, is the measure of our Christ-likeness. How much like Jesus am I? Do I look like Christ? Do I have the mind of Christ? Am I, do I exhibit the heart of Jesus? Do my words sound something like he would say? Am I filled? Is my words, are they full of grace and truth? See, we should want to look and act and think and talk like Jesus. We're headed towards this eternity of godliness. And so we shouldn't be resistant to that, right? We shouldn't be resistant to that. But second, see, spiritual maturity spiritual maturity also bears fruit here on earth. It bears fruit here on earth. As sin after sin is removed, after habit after habit, uh, things are, are being done, more space is created for God. More space is being created in my life. Bond after bond is being snapped. And my life becomes more and more filled with life, right? That life, it shows itself on the outside. See, our spiritual maturity always is going to show itself on the outside. What is inside is going to make itself known. And we see the fruit, right? Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things. That fruit is lovely and it is attractive, And it is used by God for the glory of God. It's that fruit that people see and they say, I want that. I want that. It's that fruit that backs up our words when we testify to what God has done for us. I mean, honestly, you ever have somebody say something and their life doesn't match their words? It's the fruit that shows that to be true. The testimony of fruit, when paired with the gospel, brings others to salvation. But see, the problem is the growth, growth doesn't happen automatically. As we've said, it has nothing to do with your biological age, it has nothing to do with how long you have attended church, how long you have claimed to be a Christian, or whether your family members are followers of Christ. Growth doesn't happen automatically. It's true that living things grow, but they all don't grow at the same pace. And so last week we began talking about how can we seek to uh, how, how can we seek that growth? How can we provide the right conditions for growth to take place? God is the grower. How can we match up with God so that growth can manifest itself in my life? And last week we talked about the Word of God. The Bible helps us become mature believers. First, it's foundational in knowing Him. We can't actually fully know God without knowing His Word because it's in His Word where He reveals Himself first and foremost. It's in His Word where he, we see the character of God, His heart for creation. But we also said that the Bible is necessary for spiritual growth Because man doesn't live by bread alone. When we delight in his word, when we meditate on his word, when we allow it to take root in our lives, our souls are nourished and we're fed. We're fed and we grow. In short, the Bible is how we grow. We're, we're fed through that. And so we said that the Bible was meant to transform. Not that we would re- memorize these certain verses, not that we would certainly uh, you know learn just a whole lot of stuff, gain a lot of head knowledge, but that it was actually meant for us to know God, not know about God, but actually know God. It's alive and active. The Bible is is meant to renew our minds. It is alive and active, as the writer of Hebrews says. And so reading it or even memorizing it, a few verses here, a few verses there, doesn't make us holy. But when we put it into practice, when we obey what the Word says, our lives are transformed. The Bible is God-breathed, and so anything that God breathes life into has life to the full, right? And so we should immerse ourselves in the Word and see that life that it brings. Today, we're going to continue talking about how we grow, how God grows us spiritually. And so we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of prayer. This is the logical next subject, right? The next subject that we would talk about how God reveals himself through scripture, God reveals himself through prayer. See, as the famous pastor and theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the ultimate test of Of my understanding of the scriptural teaching is the amount of time I spend in prayer. As theology is ultimately the knowledge of God, the more theology I know, the more it should drive me to seek to know God. If all my knowledge does not lead me to prayer, there is something wrong somewhere. If you have your Bible with you today, please turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 15 you're going to find John in the New Testament right after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, we're going to John 15 today. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can, uh, you have the Version Bible app. You can find all of the notes and scriptures from today's message there right under the events tab. But we're going to go to the first eight verses of John 15. Beginning in verse one, please follow along as I read the word of the Lord. To be my disciples. Thanks be to God for his word. Some of you may remember that we talked about this passage just a a few months ago, earlier this year, but God laid it on my heart that we needed to go back. There was more that we needed to see there, and I think there is. Jesus is talking to his disciples here in the upper room, it's just a few days. One of his final final teachings here, but just a few days before the events of crucifixion, resurrection, all of the stuff that goes along with that, and so he is giving them some final instructions, but he's talking to us as well. Verse 1 says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Jesus is the vine, the Father is the gardener. Some translations use the word vine dresser instead of gardener. But here, we hear Jesus say throughout his ministry that he does the will of the Father. What he does are the things that the Father tells him to do. We know he is sent by the Father to accomplish the Father's purposes. And so it's Jesus who is the vine and God the Father who is the gardener. He tends the vine. He tends the branches. He manages and maintains all of life. And that includes me and you. Jesus is the one who connects us to the Father. Y'all see that, right? That that Jesus connects us to the Father. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the one who showcases the Father. And it's Jesus in us that the world is to see when we bear fruit. If we continue on in verses 6 and 7, it says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Notice here, there is no place. There's no, there's no actual, I know we try and bring some justification here, but there is nowhere in here that, that there's a place for nominal Christianity. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He has invested three years of ministry to them. They have gone with him everywhere. And yes, he will ultimately die for this group of people that he's speaking to. And he says, If you don't remain in me, you're no good to me. You're no good for me or anybody else. You're like a dead branch. That shrivels up and its leaves, they, they turn brown and crunchy and they fall off the vine. They just lay there on the ground. They're not connected to the tree of life anymore. They're picked up and they're thrown into the fire. So either we are connected to Jesus Christ, the true vine, and under the meticulous care of the Father, the gardener, or we're not there are a few things that we need to see here. And the first one is this, is that prayer is intimacy with God. Prayer is intimacy with God. Jesus is talking to his disciples, right? He knows that there's a lot that's going to be thrown their way. They're going to be going through a lot in the next few days. They're going to experience some wild stuff, right? Their teacher, their rabbi, he's, he's going to be there and then he's not going to be there. All right, he's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried in a tomb, he's going to be dead for three days, and then he won't be dead for three days anymore. He's going to be alive again, he's going to be resurrected, they're going to see him again, and he's going to walk and talk with them, and then he's going to ascend into heaven. I mean, they're about to go through the, the real wild experience of Jesus here, and yet, when Jesus ascends into heaven, this is truly truly, when all that they learned in the classroom with Jesus, their mentor, their rabbi, their teacher, everything goes into practice. What did you learn in the classroom? It's time to put it into practice. You have learned they will be given the Holy Spirit as a helper, but for the most part, the spread of the gospel, the continuance of ministry of Jesus Christ is left to them. What will they do? How will they do it? And so Jesus stresses to them, He says, remain in me also as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You can't bear fruit by yourself. You can't make it happen. Stay with me, remain in me, be close to me, be uh, with the vine. I'm the vine, you're the branches, and neither can you bear fruit if you're not with me. So they must remain, they must abide. As some translations say, abiding means that we we take all of our uh, we take we take all burdens to Him. All of our burdens we take to Him. Uh, we draw all wisdom from Him. We we draw all strength from Him. Abiding is this closeness. This is togetherness. There, it's so close. It's so intimate. And so, the primary way that we do that is through prayer. In prayer, we have this intimacy with God, this closeness. It's just God and his children. This is the way God designed it, that we might have intimacy through prayer. We see Jesus' example time and time again, right? Jesus withdraws from the crowds. He withdraws from the disciples, and he goes away. He leaves the company of his friends. He goes off by himself. Uh, sometimes it happens at night, but it really any type of day. Uh, it, it could happen in the mo- early morning. But we see him withdraw from others, and go and pray. They're like, Jesus, where have you been? I've been with my Father. I've been with my Father. He wants to connect with his Father. It's how he maintains connection to the Father during his time on earth. He talks to the Father, and the Father talks to him through prayer. See, the fruit of prayer, a lot of times we think, man, like we should pray and ask God. We, we jump automatically to asking, right? It's kind of what we do. We say pray and ask God, pray and ask God, pray and ask God. And yet the fruit of prayer is not getting what we want. The fruit of prayer is not getting what we want. The fruit of prayer is being with our Lord. The fruit of prayer is being with our Lord. It's not having our wishes or our desires uh, fulfilled. It's instead in the relationship. In the relationship, even if we didn't get what we asked for, do we still get God. Even if I don't get what I prayed about, even if I don't get my demands met, even if I don't get my, my questions answered, even if I don't get what I ask God for, do I still get God? Even if my prayer was not fulfilled in the way that I thought it should be at the time that I, shot it, that I thought it should be, it should be enough. That should be enough. I still get to converse with my heavenly Father. And that's our fruit right there. That's our nourishment. We grow by this intimacy with the Lord. He loves us. He loves to listen to us. He wants us to cast our cares to him. And so prayer doesn't always change our circumstances, but it always changes us. Prayer doesn't always change our circumstances, but it always changes us. When we pray, we're in the presence of God. And when we're in the presence of God, we are changed. In His presence, there are no masks. There's no, nothing's hidden. There are no facades. All walls, all barriers, they're broken down, and we ourselves are laid bare. It is intimate. But it's that intimacy that brings growth. See, in this intimacy through prayer, we give God access. We give God access to make us more fruitful. Verse 2. Let's see what it says here. Verse 2 He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Wait a second here. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that He does, that does bear fruit, he prunes. He's gonna cut me. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. This, this word prune, right? The Greek word, it carries with it this meaning to clean, to clean. For this reason, some translations, they talk about this purging. They talk about this purging, this cleaning God purges us. The Holy Spirit cuts us open and removes the junk, all the junk, until we are clean on the inside, until we are as clean on the inside as we are on the outside. This purging continues until everybody sees what God sees. That is, our holiness would become visible to all. God the gardener Makes us fruitful through this process of pruning, and pruning is only for fruit bearers. Look what it says here, right? The pruning only happens if you're already bearing fruit. You are pruned so that you will be even more fruitful. All of this cutting, all of this cutting is unpleasant. It's understandable, but it's for our own good. It's for our own good. We are pruned so that we will bear more fruit. God doesn't prune what isn't connected to the vine. He's not going to bother with what's laying on the ground. Look at verses 5 and 6. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. See, in prayer, it's just us and God. Just us and God, one-on-one. In prayer, it's just me and my Father. It's intimate. We're going to have a conversation. He wants to show me things, things that are not of him, but he sees them in my life, things in me that he need to change. But I go and I sit on his lap. I go to him and I sit on my Father's lap as, a, as his child, and I go to him and nothing is hidden. The Holy Spirit does a work in me. I know some of us may be like, Man, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get cut on. I get it. But God's like, This is for your own good. This is the only way it can happen. It has to be this way if you want any part of me. If you want fellowship with me, you have to let me fix what's broken. You have to let me remove what's hurting you. It's for your own good. And so I say to God, it's for my own good. I'll go to him. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. We can trust God to do a good work in us. We can trust that he's for us. We can trust him and be open with him because we know that he is our loving father. However, there's something I've noticed in my life. I don't know if you've seen it too, It looks something like this, that uh, if we're being honest, right, uh, if I don't want to change, I don't pray. If I don't want to change, I don't pray. I don't know if you've seen it in your life too. If we don't want to change, we don't pray. If we don't want to be changed, we don't even approach God. Why ask God what he thinks if we don't really care what he has to say on the matter? So we don't pray. It makes sense, doesn't it? And so when you are your own God, when I am my own God, we don't pray. Pastor Matt Chandler says it a little more pointedly. He says, we don't pray because we are way too confident in our own ability to be the God of our own lives, despite all the evidence that we're terrible gods. Your life is filled with evidence that you're really crummy at being your own God. And yet we do it. We believe that we are in control, that we are calling the shots, and so we don't pray, and thus we become—we uh, we don't become spiritually mature because we are spiritually immature. And what do spiritually immature people know? Everything. <laughs> spiritually immature people—they know everything. Immature people know it all. I mean, just think—take it out of the spiritual realm. Immature—we expect children to to know everything, right? That, that our children, right, they're going to be rebellious. They're not going to want to be told what to do. They want freedom. They certainly don't want to hear it from anybody. They want to hear the word no. And then something happens. Something goes wrong. Something is not right. Some things are going out of control. We're about, you're weighing over our heads. We're about to lose, lose it. And we look up from the lives that we have been busy running, and we discover that it's us who are the children. I look up and I see it's me. Who's the child? It's me. We are the immature ones who look at our father and say, I do it myself. The spiritually mature, the spiritually mature, on the other hand, they long to be in the presence of God. Prayer is intimacy, and intimacy makes us fruitful. The next thing we need to see today is that prayer is warfare prayer is warfare prayer is how we do battle it is first and foremost how we do battle against the sins that entangle us. In prayer, we push back the busyness and the things that preoccupy us, and we give the Lord space to work. As we said earlier, when we create margin like that in our lives, we make room for the Holy Spirit to work in us. And at the same time, in prayer, we confess our need to God. We are actively going to war against the idol of self-sufficiency that robs God of glory. When, when we're not living as we should, when we're not growing as we should, when we're not praying as we should, um, we, we don't pray because life is manageable. Life is manageable. When the people of God are on the mission of God, prayer is this natural byproduct of being about the business of the Father, The more we're off mission, the less we pray because Christian life is now manageable. I got this. I just got to stop cussing. I just got to stop drinking. I just got to stop hanging out with those people. I need some new friends. I just need a new relationship. I need a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife. We must be confused. Christianity is not some self-help program. The Bible is not a self-help book. Self-sufficiency is not a Christian virtue. We need God. It was meant to be that way. We were meant to depend on God. And so in prayer, we confess and repent of those attitudes, but prayer is not just how we fight our own sin. Prayer is how we do battle against the darkness. Prayer acknowledges that there is more going on here than just what I can see and what I can hear and what I can feel and what I can taste and touch. There is a bigger story at play. What we see is not all there is. There is a physical world, and yet there is a spiritual world that is going on at the exact same time all around us. There is more to this life. There are eternal things at stake here. There are things at play, and so we must depend on God. It's for this reason that the Apostle Paul reminds the church to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against what? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are bigger things at stake here than just living this good life. There are more things going on than just, hey, I want to make it through this life safe and secure I want to make it through, uh, you know, just, just, you know, hey, I, I want to live a good life. I want to be there. The, this life is bigger than me and you. This life is bigger than this church. This life is about God. This life is about God, and spiritual warfare is real, and that's why Paul, he's reminded us, he's like, hey, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Our struggle isn't against each other. Our struggle, it's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces that exist in the heavenly realms, See, prayer is not this good suggestion. Prayer is not just some quaint little church act. When we pray, we petition the Lord in his mighty power, and we're, ta- we're talking to the sovereign God, the Lord of all, right? The maker of heaven and earth. And we are asking him to intervene. We are asking him to act. And this is how we combat spiritual warfare that is being waged against us and humanity. How do we expect to fight spiritual opposition without invoking spiritual weapons? We seem to think of prayer as this defensive measure many times, right? I mean, think about it. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. God, protect us. God, give us safe passage. God, put a hedge around us. God, hold us in the palm of your hand. And while there's nothing wrong with prayers like that, prayer is an offensive tactic. Prayer is not inherently defensive, it is offensive. Prayer is aggressive. We pray and we beseech the God who fights for us, and it is Him who gives us victory. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul writes For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We don't fight like the rest of the world fights. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We don't fight like the world fights. This, prayer, prayer is how we fight our battles, not by might or by power, but by the spirit of the Lord God Almighty. This battle belongs to him, and he will fight for us. Thus, the spiritually mature, they know that before we go to that person to set the record straight, before we react and give that person a piece of our mind, before we go and have a talk, we go to God. We talk about them to God. Let me say that again. Before we talk to them, before we talk to them, we go to God to talk about them. Notice I did not say we go, we go to our friend to talk about them. I did not say that we go to our small group to talk about them. We go to our God and Father to talk about him. No need to couch our uh, prayers in gossip, some sort of uh, prayer request. You know what I'm talking about. We go straight to God and we actually pray about it. We do not act as the world does. We do not react as the world does. Instead, we hit our knees and we call upon the Lord. This is how we fight our battles. We fight them with prayer. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, Pastor John Piper, he says, Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. God is more like a general in command central than a butler waiting to bring you another pillow in the den. Our God is watching and waiting to answer our call. And he is eager. There are examples all over the Bible, but just look at Psalm 18. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The cords of death entangled me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. Does that not sound like a weed trying to choke the life out of a plant? He called upon the Lord and the Lord saved him. Does that not sound like God the gardener trying to weed his garden? It's a little quiet. Psalm 118 says, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. God the gardener is vigilant, and he hears our cries for help. And so the next time that you are surrounded, the next time I'm surrounded the next time we feel the darkness closing in, how about we just pray and tell the darkness, you just tell the darkness, you just wait till my daddy gets here. You just wait. Satan hates prayer, and he will do everything he can to keep us from it. He hates it because it brings intimacy between God and His children. He hates it because it's this weapon that is used against him, and he hates it because of its effectiveness. The last thing we need to see today is that prayer is surrender. Prayer is surrender. See, prayer is effective because of who is involved in the conversation. Prayer is effective because God is effective. Its effectiveness rests solely in the effectiveness of God. Is God effective? Is he trustworthy? Verse 7 of our passage says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. See, God isn't this ATM that, that spits out just anything. What loving father would actually give his children anything they ask for? Sure, kids have at it. I'm sure some dads have done that. We wouldn't exactly call them good. It's true that God loves To answer our prayers. He loves to listen to our concerns. He loves for us to cast our burdens to Him. He loves to rescue. He's always our hero. He's the hero of the story. He's always working things for our good. Our God can do anything, but let's not get confused. Our God is not named Alexa. We can fight with Him, we can fight with Him on these things that we want. Or we can surrender to him. See, prayer is how we go about the mission to which he has called us. But a lot of times, the answer to our prayer is not more stuff. It's not more money. It's not God giving us more or adding more people to do the work. A lot of times, the answer to the prayer is is growing what has already been planted. Maturing what already exists. Growing deeper roots. Strengthening what is already there. We can't do it ourselves. So we can fight with him or we can surrender to him. I mean, you you guys have heard me talk about growing in Christ and I've tried I can think about it as hard as I can. I can say, just grow. Grow. I can't. We can make all these plans and we can do all these programs, but we still can't bring it about. Forget about sheer willpower. We can't will it to happen. God brings it about. And so we raise our hands and surrender. We say he is in control. And our God is extremely effective at growing things. God the gardener, he can do it all. He creates life. He renews life. He sustains life. He resurrects life. He protects life. Life flourishes because of him. When he is in it, it is always good. And so we surrender. He wants us to become spiritually mature. He wants us to be remade into the likeness of Christ. He wants us to be complete and lack nothing. And when we pray, we align our will with his will. And then we sit back and we watch what happens. So if you and I are serious about growing spiritually, about becoming real mature, then let us pray about it To the only one who can bring it about. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He will never leave nor forsake us. He is the Lord, the faithful one. He who began a good work in you and me will bring it to completion. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your extravagant love that you, God, would do this for us, that you would send your son that we might have life. God, we know that you did not come to make, make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. And so, God, we pray that you, the one who put the life in us, would sustain it, that you would help us to grow, that you would help us become mature. God, may today be the day that we surrender and we say, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. God, we want you to work in us. We want you to work through us, but God, first we know that you gotta do work in us. So God, we pray that you would do that. God, forgive us for being resistant to your hand, your hand that would prune, your hand that would cut. But God, we know it's because you love us. We know that it's because you want what's best for us. We know that it's because you see what is coming and that it will make us more like you. God, thank you for your watchful hand, your careful, your careful hand. Make us vessels of your glory, that we wouldn't be self-sufficient, but that we would hit our knees and give all the glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, we're going to enter into a time of response, and I'd like for you to respond however the Lord leads you. If you want to pray at the altar, if you want to pray at your seat, however the Holy Spirit leads you today, I want want us to, to do that. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, so let's stand together, we'll sing together, but let's.